on the mountain we're down to verses 19 through 21 in chapter 6 so we'll read those three verses and then we'll we'll go back and look at them a little bit Matthew 6 verses 19 through 21 where our schedule is to be kind of we're going to take some bigger chunks here in the next uh, few weeks so we should be finished by the uh, middle of May with uh, the whole sermon which will be down through the end of chapter 7 Verse 19, chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You ever had moths getting your wool stuff? My folks, when I, when I was pastoring, I, I was always in small communities and I didn't dress up very often except for weddings and funerals and my mom bought me a beautiful camel skin overcoat camel hair overcoat boy it was just a beautiful coat and the only time i'd really ever have an occasion to wear that would be at a graveside in the winter you know and uh, so i put it in the closet i think i wore it once and second time i went back a couple of years later it's all around the bottom just holes where the moths had got in it that's a sad thing Anyway, that has nothing to do with really this, but, but I thought about it when I read about the, the moths and the rust consuming. So, just when we're talking about investments, really heart investments when Jesus speaks about this. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you're, we're really looking almost as like a constitution for what it is, the parameters for living in the kingdom of God uh, and the people that are called into that kingdom, that are brought into that kingdom, and how they're character and their conduct are, are then really given boundaries of behavior and all these principles that Jesus teaches through these different episodes of how they can expect to be seen and how God expects them to be seen. And it gives us some, some understanding. It's kind of like Proverbs. You know, when you read through Proverbs, those are principles, aren't they? They don't always prove true, but they're principally true, but they often prove true. One of the ones I think of in Proverbs is, uh, if a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's, that's a good principle, but that doesn't always work, does it? Jesus' enemies are not at peace with him, and sometimes our enemies won't do. But if our behavior is according to the, the word of God, God says, I'll bless that and I'll do great things through it. And so these principles can be applied throughout all kinds of involvements and circumstances uh, and always will be blessed in relationship with God, even if the horizontal relationships aren't all that we hope they'll be and as what we're developing and being light and salt in the, in the earth. But this is, a, this is something that we do by faith. And so faith becomes really the perspective, the parameter around us. Doesn't it? We, we walk by faith, not by sight. And if we did walk by sight, we'd be a, we'd be a, a very frustrated, despairing people, wouldn't we? And maybe just give up all hope and, and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we're going to die. But we don't. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. And that faith is circumscribed by the love of God that's been given us in Christ Jesus. So the object of our faith is the truthfulness of God, what he's accomplished in Christ Jesus. And then Jesus gives us these parameters to live by. He gives us this understanding, this perspective to live a life that will be like salt and light in the places where we live. So every once in a while, uh, somebody will say something nice about you, won't they? I, I got this guy, that, you know, I drive the bus at the Claremont Independent Senior Living Center. 
And uh, so on Thursday mornings, I take this uh, retired educator uh, over to the United, just next door to us. He's on a, he's on a rolling walker. And uh, so I take him over there, and he shops for 30 minutes or so, and then I go back and get him. So at 7.45 in the morning, I take him over there. His name's Ron. He's really a, a really intelligent guy. I like him. He's fun to be around. He's about as He's kind of a curmudgeon like I am, and so we, we bounce stuff off one another. But when I was bringing him back Thursday, he got back in the bus, and he said, Dan, I want you to know I really, I really enjoy being around you. He, I figured he probably heard a good sermon or something. And so he said, I really enjoy being around you. you know? He said, I always feel better when I, when I leave having been with you. And I thought, gee, that's, that's great to hear. I know my wife doesn't feel that way a lot of times, but, <laughs> but you know, that's really good to hear, isn't it? And, and I really have to acknowledge and admit, I'll, I always do, I say, well, that's got to be God. You know, that's got to be God that, that does that through me. Because, I, you know, I know, I know myself pretty well. You all know yourself pretty well. And it's really amazing to see how God does good things like being salt and light through us in, in a lot of different ways. But as we walk by faith in the love that God's shown us in Christ Jesus, we can expect to leave that trail behind us, that we will be, bring the blessing of the Beatitudes into the environment where God's placed us. And so one of the things that Jesus says we must be aware of as we're pursuing first his kingdom and his righteousness is don't lay up your treasures here on earth because whatever you lay up in this age for yourself, for the purposes of your own aggrandizement or enjoyment, you know, you're, you're, that's going to get lost. It's going to be undone and there's something, something's going to consume it. So one of the great commentaries on that is in James, and James is, James is not really a very friendly communicator, is he? He's just a, kind of a John the Baptist with a pen. And, and, and so when you read chapters 4 and 5 especially, he says, listen, you, you wicked rich people that have not paid your labors the way that they should, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, and they're going to consume you. Well, gee, thanks. You know, but he's really, common, he's really commenting on these particular verses. That if we lay up treasure like that, those things will, will bear witness against us and they'll be consumed in the end. So Jesus gives us this, this heads up about, about uh, what we should do in this life and how to invest really in eternity. So that's what we've got to look at. So uh, we've got these four terms here that are really important in these couple of verses. One is our treasures, and those are the things that are precious to us, things that we invest in, things that we delight in, things that we draw uh, joy from, you could say. I, I don't know if that's a good... We hold them dear, things that we value, and we're willing to expend energy and money and time on these things. They're treasures. And we'll see in a little while what God's treasures are. Then the earth is, which is really this present fallen age, and it's totally corrupted. This creation is groaning, longing for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. It's, it's a broken creation, and it, it's still got a lot of beauty in it. There's still a lot of the, the initial uh, stain of God's creative power on it, but it's really degraded. It's nothing like what it was. It's not near as beautiful as it was when it was pristine, when God spoke it into existence, just like uh, humanity is not uh, all that it was. But we do see for a little while, we'll see for a while uh, what God is doing. And then heaven is the dwelling of God, His righteousness, and it's also the future of the righteous. It's the home of where we're headed. And so the Bible has a lot to say. In fact, really all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation, uh, and Peter spends a lot of time on it, and the Exodus is all about it. We're, we're just pilgrims. We're just passing through. 
You know, this is not our home. This is not our final home. Our citizenship is at the right hand of God. It's in, it's in the kingdom of God and the presence of God. That's our primary allegiance. And we're just passing through. And so the scripture presents it that way. That's one of the ways it views this life as a pilgrimage. And uh, the 40 years in the wilderness is, you know, is a parallel with, with what we're doing. Hopefully we're not going around the, the mountain over and over and over. But we're moving through a wilderness time, a wilderness season. And the heart then is the term that in scripture denotes the essence of, of who we are, out of all, all the issues of life, flow out of our heart. You know, all the things that we choose, our volition, our ability to choose, our willing, our affections, our, our intellect, all these things are really the core of who we are. And where we focus those is of ultimate and eternal consequence. And so those terms are, are very important, and, and it's what Jesus zeroes in on on these a few verses. So we want to see the... We want to see the perspective of the disciples because Jesus is talking really to the disciples, people that he's called himself. He's instructing them in the sermon, and he's telling them to take the eternal perspective. It's hard to hold that, isn't it? It's hard to hold an eternal perspective. R.C. Sproul's little magazine, Table Talk, is has kind of a logo that's on there often. It says, right now counts forever. So each moment we're living... We're, living in the, we're to be living in the light of eternity. That's really hard to keep a hold of constantly, but we should be coming back to that on a regular basis as we have a down moment, you know, or if we're at a stoplight or, you know, whatever. We should be coming back to the reality that, that our perspective is from eternity and toward eternity. It's not to be in time, and the time is, boy, time is fleeting, isn't it? Just extremely fleeting. Just, just uh, it's really going downhill on grease rail right now and uh, we see that you know and so we need to remember that this is this isn't the be all the end all and so i'll give you this little story uh i used to i lived in new mexico i lived in the near the tularosa basin up in the mountains the tularosa basin was just about 20 miles west of where we lived dropped down off us 380 into carrizozo mexico you ever been to carrizozo it's a it's not a real pretty place, but the scenery surrounding it, especially to the east and to the north, is beautiful. The mountains go up there. Anyway, I used to go down US 380. This was in the early 1980s. And I was kind of planning a house church in a little town called Corona. Have you ever been to Corona? That's where Champ Turner came from, is Corona. And uh, anyway, so I, I'd drop down on 380 and I'd turn it at the stoplight in Carrizoza, the stoplight in Carrizoza. And I'd go north on Highway 54, and Highway 54 is a big drag. Uh, it goes all the way from El Paso to Omaha, Nebraska, and there's a lot of trucking. It's, a, it's pretty busy, and there's, there's dead deer on it all the time because it goes up through some jip hills when you're close to Corona, and the, they love that topography. And anyway, it's real busy, and on the, the west side of that highway, there's a White Sands Missile Range extends on up through over those ranches there. And so you get to see some really neat stuff at night. Man, I'd see, these, I'd see these huge parachutes and these lights up in the sky. It's like UFOs, you know, these big lights are shining, and then these gigantic parachutes are dropping all kinds of ordnance or whatever they're dropping out there in these drills. And, but this particular night that I was driving up there, there were a lot of trucks passing me, and I was kind of praying as, as I uh, typically did as I was heading up to Corona for this Sunday night. I think it was Sunday nights I was doing it. It's a little house church, and... And this phrase just all of a sudden began to run through my mind. Things are not as they appear. Things are not as they appear. 
And so I started thinking about it. Things are not as they appear. And so there's all this busyness going on, you know. The Army's doing their drills. The trucks are going up and down the highway. People are ranching. The deer are getting run over, you know. <laughs> all this stuff is happening. And it's just... But that's not the reality of existence. Things are not as they appear. Things are as God has revealed, you know, which is really the story of the book of Revelation in it. God says, here, I'll move the curtains back. This is what's really going on. There's this tremendous conflict. I'm drawing people from every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue into my kingdom. The adversary is resisting the work that I'm doing. He does it through a lot of different ways, you know, but what you're seeing is not the reality. It's not the end of things. Things are not as they appear. And so Jesus is giving his disciples this eternal perspective. Don't lay up treasures here on earth because this is not the final place. In fact, this place will be totally redone. So don't be investing so heavily here. You know, travel really light. Invest in the age to come. And so Jesus wants us to be alert to that, aware of that, because our our home is in his presence. So uh, Paul says... And this really fueled him and fed him. He said, we look not to the things that are seen, for the things that are seen are temporary. But the things that are unseen, those things are eternal. And then he goes on to say in the next chapter, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And so we're called to do that. We're called to look to the things that are unseen. Uh, That means you have to have eyes that are different from these eyes. We're looking, we're seeing things as God has revealed them and made them known to us in Christ Jesus so that we can invest in that age that's coming. So in the Lord's Prayer, we we pray that, your kingdom come, your will be done. So earlier in in this chapter even, but earlier in the sermon, Jesus has taught us what to pray for. And so we're praying for that. God's kingdom come, his will be done. And that's uh, as... Kim was saying today, we see eternity really break into time sometimes. But one of these days, it's just going to totally engulf time. And things are going to be set up the way that they're supposed to be. And so we're supposed to be investing toward that. So I just put down some contrasting ideas here. Eternal versus the temporal. Spiritual versus the material. Heavenly versus the earthly. And we're always to be on the left side of that comparison, that equation. You know, the eternal, the spiritual, the heavenly. Even though we live in the temporal, make use of the... The, uh, the material, you know, and live on the earth and are, are involved in mundane things, that's not where our primary focus is to be. So uh, I heard a missionary from uh, South America say one time, he, was, he would talk to people, he'd interview guys at, at a conference, and he said, uh, he said, what do you do for a living? And the guy says, oh, he said, uh, I work for Ford Motor Company. He said, no, 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 no. You don't work for Ford Motor Company. He said, you work for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has provided graciously for your employment at Ford. Because wherever we are, you know, that, that's to be our perspective. That's the way that we're to, to carry ourselves in life, is that we're, we're seeing things from a different perspective than the world sees them. So we want to prioritize our treasures, because our priorities do carry consequences. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you'll find your heart going back to that. It's like when you first... Uh, at least when Denise and I first met, I don't know about her. I think I know about her some. I've been with her 45 years. But, but I, I know that in that first flush of meeting one another, man, I was just consumed with thinking about her, you know. I mean, just any time I had downtime, which is most of the time because I didn't go to class very often, <laughs> I, would, I would be thinking about Denise, 
you know. I'd be thinking about her picture would run through my mind, you know. And so wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to be going automatically, isn't it? If our treasure's in something material, man, it's consuming our thinking, our planning, our desiring. If it's in Christ Jesus, that's informing, you know, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we handle our finances, the way that we handle relationships, the way we relate to other people, the things we buy, you know, it, it begins to govern everything because we're walking by the revelation of eternity. We're not walking according to what's just feeling good now or is going to meet this present need right now. You know, we're, we're able to, uh, we're like Dave Ramsey says, how you say this, he says, uh, live like no one else so later on you can live like no one else. And, of course, he's informed by the kingdom of God, but he's also talking on the horizontal plane. If you want to have a great retirement, then don't eat steak four times a week now. You know, eat rice and beans now. Put the steak money away, and then you can go eat steak when you're however old you are when you retire. But we're, we're even going beyond that. You know, we're looking, we're looking to eternity. We're looking to those things that are going to glorify God, and we'll find out that the God will... We'll see this in just a few verses later when, when we go through the rest of this chapter, that God's always going to supply everything that we have need of. We don't have to be anxious about that. You know, if we're, if we're going to live by faith, then we're going to be able to trust God that what all we need, we'll have it exactly when we need it. So we don't want to love the world. John says that, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these are not of God, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lusts of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So John has the same concept. I wonder where he got that idea. Well, right from Jesus, didn't he? Don't lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust consume. Again, James doesn't say it quite as nice. You know? He says, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And if there's one person we don't want on our enemies list, if there's one person we don't want on our enemies list, it's the almighty, eternal, holy God. We don't want to be on his list of enemies, and we don't want him on our list of enemies. And so James says, listen, if you love the world, if that's where your treasure is, if your treasure's in this age, he said, you're an enemy of God. Because God's treasure is not in this age. His is something eternal. And we'll see in a minute what that entails, or at least part of what it entails. So, Ecclesiastes was one of my favorite. I love reading Ecclesiastes. Anybody like to read Ecclesiastes? I really love to read Ecclesiastes. It just clicks with me. Anyway, it's kind of a morality tale. Because here's a guy, Solomon, who starts out really good. You know, and does a lot. I mean, he does more than anybody in his age. Does a, maybe, maybe in weighted percentage, does more than, than Warren Buffett ever dreamed about doing, you know. Or Jeff Bezos, although Jeff Bezos is taking over the world slowly. He's going up head-to-head against UPS and FedEx now. What's next? You know, hope he takes over the government. Maybe he'll do a better job. Anyway, so we have this, this guy that's got all this power. He's got possessions that he doesn't even know he has. He has pleasures that are running out of his ears. He has prowess about science. He's written books. He's just a mover and a shaker. You know, they're interviewing him all the time. He's Time's Man of the Year. You know, it's just like he's got it all going on. But in the, when he's alone, he's going, What's this? what does this mean? What is the good of having this? You know, what good's it going to do me? I'm going to hand it off to... Rehoboam, and what's he going to do with it? Well, we know from the story he didn't do very good with it, you know. 
So he, he begins to have this crisis, the crisis of a successful man. And, and the whole book is about the vanity of this present age outside, and you've got to get this, outside the fear of God, because the fear of God is to inform, inform and everything is to conform in life around that. God wants us to enjoy life. He likes it when we have a good steak and say thank you for that. You know, he likes it, unless you're a vegan. He, he likes when we enjoy his creation, when we give him thanks for what he's given us that's pleasant. Yeah, I was just thinking yesterday, I was sitting in my backyard. Yesterday was beautiful, wasn't it? So I'm watching the birds float around. Did you see those two biplanes flying around yesterday? A red one and a, and a yellow one? They were, they did, it looks like they were having races around there. And then I was watching the woodpecker up in the pecan tree, and I was just sitting out there, and I was thinking, oh God, this is really wonderful. There's no wind. Temperature's about 60 degrees. You know, I'm sitting out there drinking my iced coffee. My dog's over there. I'm enjoying all of that. God likes it when we enjoy what he's made for us but he doesn't want us to make that our goal to what we pursue and if we begin to lay up our treasures in that like solomon did and it the interesting thing is it's believers that are tempted to love the world unbelievers aren't they just love the world they're not tempted to do it they just do it they love this present time they love what they can get out of it they love what they can enjoy in this present time but believers are tempted they're lured Away. That's what the adversary does. He tries to lure us away from the Creator to the creation. He's constantly trying to do that. To get us to love the world and the things that are in the world as our treasure. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't invest in that. You're going to have that. But remember to keep the fear of God first. And so the terms in Ecclesiastes and morality tell, if things are vain, they're just not satisfying under the sun, which is in this present age, in this earth, in this world, things are not satisfying unless we remember the fear of God. And then when we remember the fear of God, we enjoy marriage more than you can be enjoyed without the fear of God. We enjoy our job more than we can without the fear of God. We enjoy the, the things, that, the rewards that come along with a, a good a job well done more than we could without the fear of God. But we don't make that our treasure. Our treasure is God himself and his presence in us. It's interesting, Paul says, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the transcendent power of God, the hope of glory. This is in us. This is our, this is our great treasure that we have a foretaste of, a down payment of now, and here we are just reeling eternity in as we invest more and more in the, in the age to come. So we want to we make sure that we're not uh, straying that way. People, that's God's treasure, isn't it? Think of some of the things you, you've bought. I was sitting in my dad's library uh, a couple of days ago, kind of returning the favor when he watched out for me when I was a little kid. And my mom was gone to the doctor and Denise had taken her. And so I was sitting in his library while he was sleeping in his chair in the living room just kind of being there in case he had a need. And, and my dad's, a, one of the things he's done in life is woodcarver for the last yeah, 35 years. He was a whittler from the time he was a kid, but then he started woodcarving seriously maybe 35 years ago or so when he retired. And so he's got all these wood carvings. I mean, just all over the house, you know, looking at all that. And, and, think, and the other stuff he's got, he's got all these little collectible things. He started collecting brass at estate sales about 10 years ago. He's got crates of brass. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and he, every once in a while they'll bring some in. He will, he won't anymore probably, but he's, he's, over the years he's set some of it up and they'll take it out. But, you know, just all these collections and, and he enjoys doing stuff like that. And so he's invested money in that, you know, not a lot of money, but he's invested money in some of that stuff. Whatever our treasure is, we're going to exhibit it and we're going to invest in it, you know. We're going to, we're going to be doing that. And so, let me see what I'm talking about. The treasure of God. Because we invest in what we treasure, don't we? I don't know what you like. I, I used to collect Abraham Lincoln memorabilia, eagles and bulldog stuff. And uh, I had a whole bunch of all of it. And when I retired, my wife made me get rid of it. Most of it. She didn't make me. But she was getting rid of her stuff, and I felt guilty. So she kind of made me. <laughs> so I got rid of a bunch of it. But, but I spent money on that stuff. As I'd see it, we'd go somewhere, you know, and I'd walk through a big antique mall or whatever, and I'd see a bulldog. Hey, that's a cool bulldog. So I'd buy that, you know, or a picture or something like that. And so you invest money in those things. You're kind of precious to you. What does God invest in? People, huh? People. He invested the blood of His Son in people. He made us in His image to share Himself with us and through us. And then when we went astray, He sought us out and He spent Himself on us. This is the treasure of God. And so that we're, we're around people every day. You know, Sometimes I don't get around too many per day. But when I'm out, I'm around people. And that, that's the treasure of God. I'm, I'm around that. What does God really find precious? The Rocky Mountains? No, He's going to burn those up and start over. But people, people he finds precious. And so our treasure, we should, our eyes should begin to begin moving towards what God finds precious. We ought to see that. People are the precious thing. You know? The problem is they're kind of, some of them are kind of like hugging a porcupine, you know what I mean? But then you and I were at one time, weren't we? You and I were, were really sharp pointed and fractured, you know, and. But, but God still came and He embraced us in the gospel. And so we're sent out into the earth to be salt and light and to, to show people ultimately that God treasures them through the proclamation of the gospel. And so God treasures people. We're looking at being God's people, living by faith and the love that God has for us and the kingdom of God living out the Sermon on the Mount. People are precious. They are the treasure of God. So we've got to remember that. Don't have to feel that. We've got to remember. So I just read through Exodus a few weeks ago. And while I'm reading through there, I'm in Leviticus now. Leviticus is kind of a hard read, isn't it? And so anyway, I'm in Exodus. And one of the things that goes on is these craftsmen, Bezalel and the other guy, whoever he was, I can't remember. They have given, given these gifts, and the people bring all this stuff. And one of the things that's really important is they make the, the robes and the accoutrements that go on the robe of the high priest. And he has this breast piece, and he's got these arm bars. And you remember what's on those, the breast piece and on the arm bars? The names of the tribes of Israel. Because when the high priest, representing Christ Jesus, goes into the presence of God, he carries on his heart the names of people. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? This is what's precious to God, that the representative who is Christ Jesus brings his people before him. He intercedes for them. He stands in for them. And this is, this is what we do, really, in our prayers. That'll be a, a big part of our prayers. We're, we're burying the people that are around us that are precious to God. We're burying them before God in prayer. We're just imitating what Jesus is doing now as He ever lives making intercession for us, calling us out by name, you know, before the Father. And this is a great thing to think about, isn't it? 
It's a great thing. And then to be called to do that same thing, to treasure people the same way, to pray for those people, to pray for our family, to pray for our grandkids, pray for our spouse, you know, pray for our neighbors, and uh, bring them, the people we work with, the people we encounter, to pray for those people. That's, that's treasuring them. That's treasuring and bringing them before God. So here's, the, here's another story i got for you. Again, back in New Mexico, a little town called, not really a town, village, not even really a village, a place between <laughs> Capitan and Riodosa on highway. What's that highway, babe? Anyway, drive that highway, and it's called Angus. And in Angus, there's a post office, and there's a Nazarene church campground. So in the mid-'80s, uh, a friend of mine was connected with Vineyard Christian Fellowships, and he brought in some speakers from the West Coast for a, a conference at Angus. And I took some people from my church down to that the valley there on the Bonita River to the Angus conference grounds. And uh, during worship one night as we were singing, I was just kind of thinking on the Lord, and, and, and uh, which I guess you ought to do when you worship. <laughs> So here I'm thinking about songs we're singing about God, and, and this I've been reading in Jeremiah, and uh, and I uh, God just had me look around at the people I'd brought with me, and I, I knew them pretty well. I'd been their pastor for a few years, and 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 I'd got to know things about them you wish you didn't know, you know, and and how broken they were, you know, and and I looked at them, and, and God said, I want you to invest heavily in these people, you know, and I thought, yeah, really. Really? You know, they got a lot of problems. And this passage from Jeremiah just hit me. Because Jeremiah's he's embalmed out Jerusalem, you know, he's not being treated well. And Babylon is about to break down the walls. They've already destroyed every, all the outlying villages. If you're on the hill, you know, looking over the walls, you would have seen all these farms have been burned up and here's all this war machinery of Babylon and they're they're up against you, you know, it can't be too much longer before they make the breach, you know, and what's going to happen then. And uh, his cousin comes into town, Hanamel. And Hanamel, is, he's getting out of Dodge, you know. But before he leaves, he wants to make a real estate deal. He wants to sell the 40 acres that he had down there that you could probably see from the walls. They'd been burned over. They'd thrown rocks on it and, you know, it was ruined. But he was going to try to get rid of it for whatever he could bring. And God tells Jeremiah, he says, I want you to, I want you to buy that property. I think it was 20 pieces of silver. And, you know, Jeremiah's a prophet. He's spiritually minded, but he's probably not stupid. And he probably thinks, that's not a very good investment, God. You know, that is not, that's, that's not in good shape. God said, I'm telling you, Jeremiah, what you're seeing there, it's going to be restored. There's going to be joy in the streets again. There's going to be people worshiping here. Do it. So, since Jeremiah's a guy that walks by faith and not by sight, he takes God at his word and he buys that, gets the copy into the county court, you know, they got it all made legal. And, and then he begins to worship God and he says, God, nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. You will do that. And so he invests. Now, in the New Testament era, the kingdom of God is not geography, is it? It's people. And people's lives are lots of times like that bombed out land. I mean, they're just a wreck. They're, they're in bad shape. 
life's had its way with them. They, they invested in the wrong way. They were taught to invest in the wrong way. And now their treasure's crushed, you know, and they're, they're in bad shape. But God says, invest in those people. Invest in those people that you think there's no hope for. Because nothing is too difficult for me. And so that's what we're, our, we're called to do, is to do it by faith. That means we have to go back to God all the time. Give us this day our daily bread, O oh Lord. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Help us, God. Keep us away from evil. Help us to keep our focus on, on things that are to come, and the age to come, not on things that are now. Let us see with your eyes. You know, this is the eyes of faith. We're seeing things that are not seen in the natural. We're seeing the potential, you know, of what God says he's going to do. And what he's going to accomplish in the age to come. So, God intends our hearts to embrace the same treasure. What is man that you are mindful of him, the psalmist says. And the refrain's picked up in Hebrews chapter 2. Except now we see the man, huh? We see Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels. And yet now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he has shown us the path that you and I will take. And so we... Get to come along and invest with him. Now, the problem is, again, we get, it's easy to get distracted. And so we've got this great foundation because this, is, this building treasures in the, in the age to come is not about gaining heaven. Heaven's already been gained for us by Christ Jesus. It's about investing in that heaven. So Paul says, listen, whatever you build on the foundation of Jesus, it's going to be tried. If you build with wood, hay, and stubble, earthly possessions, worldly things, that becomes your treasure. God's going to light a match at judgment. And that stuff's going to go poof. Foundation will be there. But all the stuff that you thought was so precious, it's gone. On the other hand, if you build with gold and silver and precious jewels, if you let your life be tried in this age, because this, you know, this age really is purgatory, isn't it? Where is purgatory? Well, it's Amarillo, Texas. That's where it is. Right? Though now for a little while your faith, being precious, is being tested. Because the thing that's really precious to God in people is what? Their faith. That they would take Him at His word. That they would believe Him. Like Adam and Eve failed to do. Like Israel failed to do. But with a new heart, we're able to do. We're able to take Him at His word. And, and this is what really God finds so precious. The people that trust Him. People that just trust Him. And they keep on keeping on. You know, even right in the middle of purgatory. Anybody been to purgatory, Colorado? I never have been there. Is it scenic? Is it pretty? Yeah. Anyway, this, this age is purgatory. It's only purgatory you get. Another one. So, we embrace this, this same thing. That what is man that you're mindful of? What are the people around us that God's mindful of them? They're those made in his image. You know, that he has sent the, the gospel toward. And he sent it through us. So investing in people means we utilize our gifts. Of We hear this a lot. Time, talent, and tithe. We invest in people with who we are, what we have. So whatever, that's why it's important that we understand what gifts we have. I mean, not, not so we can say, well, I have that gift. No, so we can know that we can use that gift, you know, to help people. To come alongside people, to encourage them to respond to God, to, to invest themselves in eternity. And, and we give our time. I, I got a friend that's a real giver in a lot of ways, and, and, and he, he nailed it one day we were talking. He said, you know, it's a lot easier to give money than your time. Boy, that is, isn't it? I never thought. It's a lot easier to give your money than your time. But a lot of people don't even, it's not even easy for them to give their money. 
But we're to give our time and our talent, those gifts that we have, and our tithe in order to help those. So Paul says, and, and we're, we're rich people. You know, as a nation, we are just filthy rich. Just think of the, the stuff we've got. I got bulldogs and Lincoln junk and eagles. You know, think of all the, <laughs> think of all the junk we got. Just stuff that we have. We're so wealthy. And Paul tells Timothy, says, Now, warn those who are rich in this age to take their stuff and use it to help other people. Help other people. Help other people. You know, what can you do to help other people? Well, you can give to missions. You can go on a mission trip. You give your tithe and that goes, you know. And all these things that we can do. We can give our gifts. People that are great encouragers. Don't you like to be around somebody that's got the gift of encouragement? Man, that's good. You know? Somebody that's got the gift of mercy. Isn't that wonderful? You know, taking our gifts, our administrative gifts, like, like Paul used for 28 years as he organized war. What a tremendous gift that is, you know. We just take all these things for granted sometimes. But what a great gift. And to employ that f- toward those who are God's treasure. So that their faith is built up so that God takes more and more joy in that and we're laying up these treasures in heaven. Then when we get there... It's like, man, look at this stuff that God enabled me to do to His glory. So I want to encourage you, don't lay up your treasures here on earth. If you, if you see where you are, just make an adjustment. Solomon did. He made an adjustment. Yeah. Never too late to make an adjustment until it's too late. That's, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. That's an Ecclesiastes. Because if you're living, you got hope. Huh? And here, so we're, all, we're hopeful people. We're alive. And so we can make these adjustments, and we can take Jesus at his word and trust him. Okay, it's time. It's time not to make my treasures in this age, but in the age to come. Let's pray together. Father, again, we, uh, we bless you for your word, God, how, how great it is. Where, where would we be without your word, God? We'd be in the dark. We'd be in the cold. We thank you for the, the light of your word. We thank you for the fire of it, God, in our bones. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to speak to us, that you've been so patient with us, that the redemption we found in you is plentiful, God, that your love is steadfast. And so, like the psalmist, we wait for you. Our soul waits. And in your word, we hope. God, we thank you for your word. We bless you, Holy Spirit, that you've been faithful to us to to bring it home to us so many times, so many ways. And we just desire to respond to what you have to say today, that we be people that lay up our treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't consume, where nothing can touch it. It's safe forever in your presence, Father, as we invest in you, invest in the people that you've placed around us. So, God, we pray. We pray for that. We pray for open doors of effective ministry to those around us, God, people maybe that we've neglected or, or failed to look at as the treasure they are to you. Help us, Lord, to to bring them into our heart, God, to treat them as the treasure they are. And God, we thank you that you have given us a great inheritance in Christ Jesus, that he has become our treasure in your presence, God. And so again, we rejoice and thank you, Lord, and ask your blessing on us that where we go, we might bless others in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.